But if you will turn with me to Genesis chapter 17, where our text is going to be from verses 1 through 7. And it says, When Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Amen. If we can lay our Bibles down, ask God to touch us tonight. Heavenly Father, we love you and we need you in this house. We so appreciate you, God, tonight. And I ask you to reach out and touch us each and every one. Let your word, God, all oh, be anointed in this house. It's your word, not mine. God, it's your message, not mine. I ask you to reach out and touch your people. They're not mine. God, we're here together to gather as a family of Christ. Hear your word. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Turn to somebody and shake their hand. Tell them how good looking they are. You don't have to lie. We'll have a time of repentance later. Amen. God's people are the most handsome and beautiful people on the face of this earth. Amen, amen. You may be seated. I want to talk about Abraham's belief in the impossible. This, this, these verses of scripture have probably been preached and taught and told and wrote about so many different ways. I have nothing new tonight, but I have a word from God that he laid on my heart and it began to blossom within my heart. I began to write down the words he had given me and um, I pray that God reaches down and touches somebody's life today. If nobody else's, I sure need this message myself. Amen. As we read through Genesis chapter 17, and there's so many things that are happening, and we won't, for the sake of time, we won't be going through everything that's happening in Genesis 17, 18, 19, and all the preceding chapters that so much is happening. We see it seems like uh, the world is on fast forward when you begin to read through some of these chapters in Genesis. And it's beautiful to see the things as they unfold as lives begin to come together and God's blessing them and confirming his covenants and begins to re reach out and touch his appointed ones, the people he has appointed as the patriarchs. And we see the Lord visiting with Abram at that time and makes a covenant with him. And he says in verse 1, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. The almighty God means El Shaddai. Shaddai means it's irresistible, able to destroy, and by inference to make almighty, to be strong, and to destroy. It's interesting that you'll find 
El Shaddai mentioned six times in Genesis, and then you'll find it also 31 times in the book of Job. We'll be jumping over there here momentarily. But El Shaddai would have been a familiar name to Abraham had he known, or I'm assuming he would have known the story of Job. The Lord has delivered the covenant to Abraham and made a promise to make many nations from him. And I don't feel like we have the back of the book before us, but I feel like we're many, many chapters into life. And we sit here in reference Israel because of this covenant. It's there today because God kept his word. It's in our day, in our time. We can look out and see how this covenant came to pass, and we can see the historical parts of it in the Bible. We can also see the children of Israel, the nation of Israel as it stands today. And it's always been a target. They've always had people coming after them, and even today, people... Um, do things and they retaliate against Israel as a nation. And we won't get going down those rabbit trails. But Israel is around because God has blessed it. He has kept his hand upon the nation of Israel, upon his people. And he's given them their opportunity for them to be a blessing. And it talks about in the Old Testament, talks about the nation of Israel. All nations will be blessed because of their friendship or their relationship with the nation of Israel. I would like to think that our nation, the United States of America, is benefactors by befriending the nation that God has created and set a covenant for many, many years ago. We can look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, and it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out, called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Skipping on down to verse 12, and it says, Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead. Talking of Abraham. So many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which was by the seashore innumerable. When you see as so as many as the stars in the sky in multitude. This phrase here is to reference the vast multitude, and it seems like nothing appears to be more numerous than the stars of the heaven. And in the same passage of Scripture, he calls out the sand by the shores of the ocean. And I have never went into space. I've stood in the darkest parts of United States and looked up and seen the blanket of stars and it seems uh, like it is just you cannot even begin to start counting them you go to the beach and you stand there and you look down at the small minuscule grains of sand as the waves wash them away beneath your feet and my mind instantly goes to that is how large the family of God it really is Me, my mind also goes over to the point where it says eternity you cannot have enough time to even count the stars or the grains of sand that's how eternity has just begun and so he's referencing things that seem infinite your family Abraham is going to be massive it's not just you your sons 
and your, uh, your, your daughters and granddaughters and all the things that happen within the family. It's not just that. It is so much more. And we know, and I referenced it Sunday morning as a child, I learned the song, Father Abraham. And we hear these things and they resonate within us. But I want us to talk about the impossible things that Abraham seen. And we'll take just a few moments tonight. We find that there's strength in the faith that Abraham have. It was the confidence in God of the fulfillment of the promise where human probabilities were lacking and were pressing up against it. We find where Abraham had faith. We also see him referenced in the New Testament and the profoundness of his faith. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But what we get caught up in is we try to wrap our mind around what is possible uh, when God begins to do a work in our life, we begin to think of things and we begin to reference them in the realm of probability. We like to think of, well, if God was to do this, this is how he would do it. And that's probably our biggest problem. We try to figure out how God is going to do something instead of just letting God do it. And we begin to put boxes around our faith when we say, well, I sure hope or I wish that God would do it this way. All the while, God himself is wanting to say, just have faith. I'm only asking you to have faith, not figure out how to do it, point A to point B. As a husband, it's difficult for me when my wife comes to me and she says, this is what's wrong and, and this is an issue. And in my mind, I immediately start trying to figure out how do I solve this problem? How do I make it go away? And that's a fault of mine, because sometimes Sister Goff just wants me to sit there and listen. And that is so hard, because my mind has ADD, and it's like feeding itself sugar cubes. You have a problem? Let's see if we can figure it out. It's like a Rubik's Cube. It's like puzzles. It's like a word search. Oh, I can figure this one out. But all the while, God is just wanting us just to have faith. Because he says, not according to your ability to figure out and solve problems, so be it. According to your faith, so be it. So it's so simple to say, and we can stand up, and we can testify, and we can preach about it, and we can blog about it, we can tell others about it, but faith is something that is profound when someone has it. And it's noticeable when someone has a profound amount of faith to where you walk up and you say, the hand of God is on their life. God is doing something special in their life. Those people have faith in God. And then there's on the other side where it seems where people do not have faith. And as I talked about Sunday morning, it's all of the excuses of why I should not believe in the faith of God. We can give every excuse in the book. It seems like it's the magic eight ball. We can come up with every example of why we should not have faith in God when he only wants to give us one option, have faith. And we find that it could be based upon what we find within the walls of nature. But then you find stories in the Bible where Jesus walks on water. And you're like, that should never happen. That's impossible. According to the laws of nature, he is heavier than water can support. There's that tension on top of the water that only allows so much to rest upon it. The human foot is not one of those. And the moment that you put more pressure down on the water, you sink. And we try to, we try to figure these problems out. 
We find where Abraham did the very same thing. The Lord visits with Abraham, makes a covenant, begins to talk to him about how great he is and and begins to tell him, I am, and what I like in the introduction to him in the covenant, in the verse 1 of chapter 17, it says that when Abram was 90 years and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. That sounds like a definitive statement. It's because it is. He was letting him know, listen, I, the God who can take care of everything, is here to meet with you and make a covenant. There is no greater God. I am the only God. And Abram begins to realize that when he tells them, walk before me and be thou perfect or blameless, he's not saying to be without spot or wrinkle, but he's saying, just keep trusting in me. I am the almighty God and I can provide. Just keep trusting in me. When we start talking about Job, we find that Job, according to historians, passed away several years prior to the birth of Abraham. And in my mind, knowing that how people are and uh, word travels, and we find scriptures where we talk about the children of Israel, when they went to go against uh, the walls of Jericho, went to go against Jericho, they were already noised abroad of how great their God was. So I'll use that as a reference. I can only imagine what happened to Job was then in turn told to everyone because of how how catastrophic it was. Those are the stories that tend to go from ear to ear and house to house. And I imagine whenever Abraham heard the story, maybe, just maybe, we don't know who penned the words of the book of Job. We don't know if it was Moses, don't know if it was Solomon. We don't know who, who wrote those words. But at some point, I would like to think, Based on what I read in scripture, I like to think that Abraham began to read the story of Job because of it happening sometime around his lifetime. And as we talked about the word El Shaddai, I would like to think that whenever Abraham heard God himself introduce himself and say, I am the Almighty, I would hope to think that if he heard the story of Job, maybe something resonated and he says, I've heard this Almighty talked about. I've had this God. Let's see just what he's all about. In the story, it talks about in Job 31 times, we hear El Shaddai mentioned. And I would like to think that it was a familiar name to his ears. In Job chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, Behold, blessed is the one who God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. He will deliver you from six troubles. In seven, no evil shall touch you. Now that sounds like a riddle. Almost like those, you know, we have a riddle we've told in our family many, many times about a guy who died in a barn with 53 bicycles around him. How did he die? One of those riddles, and I won't tell you the answer because if you don't know it, I don't want you to get it. It took me quite a while to figure it out. But you read the word of God and you say, he will deliver you from six troubles and in seven no evil shall touch you. We'll get to that here in a moment. In famine, he will redeem you from death. And in war, from the power of the sword. 
You shall be hidden from the lash of the tongue and you and shall not fear destruction when it comes. At destruction and famine you shall laugh and shall not fear of the beast of the earth. For you shall be in a league in league with the stones of the field and the beast of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is at peace and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. You shall know that your offspring shall be many and your descendants as the grass of the earth. We see that talked about in the book of Job. We see it referenced about the Almighty, one of the references of the Almighty. It's interesting, and we begin to jump down to where we talk a little bit more about Abraham. And the story is profound because we reference Abraham in Romans chapter 4. We begin to talk about Abraham, and we visit the book of Romans to hear more of the faith of Abraham, just to learn how great his faith was. And his promise is realized through faith. It says, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations and in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was a good was was good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. It says that he staggered not at the promises of God. That means he was not moved or agitated, but he was steady and firmly believing, and he was rooted in the promise that the Lord had given to him in that moment. He did not have what we would think of lack of faith, but he did it all to give glory to God. It was his unwavering belief in those promises. It was his conduct that honored God, such that it was to show that Abraham had such conviction, but he was not worthy of the blessings, but he gave confidence and trust in he who could provide for him. But when I read these scriptures, I see Abraham laughed. And I see everybody heralding him as a man of faith. Look in the book of faith. Hebrews, you'll find it, that chapter. You'll find it in Romans, talking about the faith of Abraham. But then he laughed when the Lord said, you're going to have a son. Abraham may have laughed at the impossible when the Lord was promising Isaac, but he realized just how great God was when promises began to come to pass. And we don't want to get too bogged down, but we find where Abraham his name was changed. We find where Sarah was changed to where her name, instead of just meaning, uh, I think it was a princess, where it was meaning a princess of many. It was, it was to mean that it was he made a difference in their life to prepare them for the promise. It wasn't just menial changes. It wasn't just something that says, hey, Abram, what would your name, what would you like to have your name? Any, any, anything that's been bugging you about how 
your father named you and you haven't really liked it. And none of that was the case. It was your name was Abram. Now you are Abraham because you will be the father of many nations. Names mean something. And we as children of God have been called out of this world and we have the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ placed upon us through obedience, through baptism, and the washing of his blood, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, we walk every day with his name on us. That's why devils are afraid of us. That's why the imps of this world walk around seeking whom they may devour, and they walk up and they see a child of God, and they're not looking at how you're dressed or what you're drinking or not drinking. They're looking at your life, and they're saying, listen, that person is a child of God because they have a name written upon them. I can't touch him without his permission. We have to realize we have a name upon us. Just as God made a covenant with Abraham, God has made a covenant with each and every one of us. That will, he will be our God. He'll be our guide. He'll be everything we could ever need. And it's all within that name of Jesus Christ. There is power in the name. There is power in his name. So Abraham begins to see just how great God is. We'll go back to Job and try to wrap up a few of these verses of Scripture. I promise not to keep you long. Looking in Job, we'll jump to verse 17. And it says, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. It means do not regret the means of which God is admonishing you. That means when God does something in your life, it shouldn't be us to decide, I don't deserve this or I do deserve this. It shouldn't be upon us when a blessing comes our way. We said, I was sick and tired of God working on me and changing me and making me more like him. We should say, thank God for the moments that he files off those rough edges because the Lord knows I need time like that. I need the word of God to take me and smooth me over it. Take those places that are blemishes in my life and, and fill them in and make me new and fresh again. It shouldn't be upon me to say, God, don't do this to me again. It's God, give me the strength to make it through. Encourage me, lift me up, talk to me, God. Goes on to say, for he wounds, but he also, he binds them up. He shatters, but his hands heal. Looking at the story of Job, it's profound because he lost everything. Lost everything, except his wife. Probably should have lost her too, I don't know. As negative as she was, he probably wishes she did. But I'm sure he loved her cared for God blessed what's so amazing about Job's story is God gives and gives even more he restores and says I've taken everything away from you I've allowed these things to happen Job it's because I knew you could do it and because of your faith I'm going to give to you even more I'm going to bless you two times of what you had it's the things that God takes from us that we think we should never let out of our grasp. 
But those are the things that he uses life to pry them out. And next thing you know, you may think, I need this. I have to have this. I cannot live my life without this in my life. All the while, it's just like God's trying to peel back our hands. And he uses life to soften our grip. I have an uncle. His name's Joe Hampton. And as a young man, being around 10 years old, I remember how strong, and he still is, how strong he was. I remember him showing how strong he was. He built homes. He built homes, and he would make everything from hand. He was a true craftsman. And I remember him, we were at one of my other uncle's jobs, and they said, hey, Joe, pick this up. And he picked up a scale that you and I would stand on. And I, it went to 300. And they said, Joe, give this a squeeze. And so he picked that scale up and squeezed it and it wrapped the scale around past the 300 mark. I remember standing there as a young man thinking, wow, this man is strong. But it was people that you look up to and you say, man, they're powerful and mighty, but they also love. That's how God is. God has a hand that can correct, who can fix, who can change. He has a hand that can lay out the impossible and give you the faith to see it come to pass. That's the kind of God we have. He's so powerful, so mighty. His word is so strong. That he can speak and things happen. But he can also reach down and say, Abraham, I'm the Almighty. I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. That same God that Abraham experienced is the same God that we have today. Now when we get to verse 19, it says in Job chapter 5, it says he will deliver you from six troubles. I read this, and I began to read more about it, and trying to figure out, God, what are you trying to say in six trouble? You will deliver us from six troubles. It's here, it's, um, if you could say it this way, it's used to display an infinite number. Just like we said, the sand on the seashore, or the stars in the sky. What we think is impossible. Job, you've had everything stripped from you. It seems like every time you hear footsteps, your life is being stripped away. All the way to the extent of six troubles. But he says, in the seven, no evil shall touch you. Now this is, this is common in the Hebrew language for them to use these type of examples. This mode of speech, and it's one where they would mention one number, and it was to the extreme. But then there would be one that would be immediately added to take it even further than what you thought could be. Here's an example. The Bible tells us to forgive each other 70 times. He doesn't stop there. He takes it and you're like, 70 times? Wow. That means I have to be hurt 70 times. Then he immediately follows up and says, times seven. And then you're really taken back. You're like... I can't do that. It's impossible. When we read the scriptures, we say, I could never go through what Job went through. You're right. It could only be by the hand of God. When Abraham laughed, this was my opinion, I believe he was seeing 
what was thought to be impossible. He says it himself. How can a man this old, 99 years old, and my wife, as old as she is, 90 I think, her womb is closed up. There's no way this could happen. We find that Sarah had the same response a few chapters later. But it still says that Abraham wavered not at the promises of God. It's because I believe he realized who his help truly was. Because someone walked up to him and says, hi, I'm the almighty. I can take care of everything in your life. I can do all things. I can restore. I can, as it says in Job, I can crush and then I heal. I can shatter and then I make whole again. I can make you win in battle and I can make you victorious in battle. Everything we need is found in God. Now let's talk plain tonight. Where are you at in your promises with God? Abraham just had to have faith. Abraham only had Ishmael by a concubine, by the handmaiden. Only had a son. And, and he thought that Ishmael was the one. And you can read, it says, following that, Abraham is concerned about Ishmael. I thought he was the one that was going to get the blessing from my house. And, and God says, no, 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 it's Isaac. And then he goes down to verse 20, he says, As for Ishmael, I've heard thee. Behold, I will bless him. And I will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. With twelve princes shall he beget. And I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac. We can hold on to things, church, and say it's always been, it's always has to be, that's all I've ever known. What about Ishmael? All the while God's given you a promise and you sit there and we say, I do not understand how this will ever happen. I don't understand how Isaac is going to walk through the door. I don't understand how Isaac is going to come in and be the one, the seed of many nations going to come from him. I just don't get it. And we can sit there and say that all day long. All the while, God's just needing faith. Just faith. The limit here when we look at the 70 times 7, the limit is 7. It's perfection. It's God's number. When we think that we can do nothing more on our own, God has us exactly where he wants us. Because then the seventh can come in and says, nothing can hurt you. Nothing can destroy you. Nothing can pull you out of my hand. Nothing can pull you out of the church of the living God. That's what the number seven does for us. We just have to believe in God and give him the grace and the latitude and the space in our life so that we can step back and say, God, I don't understand it. But I have faith in you. All I see around me is six. I see, I see everything coming against me. My job, my family, my health. Everything that I can think of. And God says, just give me a chance. Let me take care of it. Let me restore. Let me heal. Let me take what's shattered. Let me do this. Because he let it happen to begin with. We have to get that through a mind when we begin to wonder, what is the existence of my life? What am I here for? God says, just so you have faith in me, I brought you to a place. Just as we talked about with Moses. God made him a shepherd. So he could take him to the place so he would have a staff. And build upon Moses. 
and give him that authority. That's what it's all about. God takes us places just so he can use us. And I never, ever want to run away from where God is trying to take me in my life. What was explained to Abraham was an impossible feat. He even stated it was. He said it in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, that is 90, year old, 90 years old, bear? And we see what is the impossible unfolding in Abraham's life. And it's the benefit of believing in the impossible that Abraham can look back and say, God has surely been my provider. We see him falling on his face. And Abraham, in Genesis chapter 24 and verse 1 says, Abraham was well stricken in age, and the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. It says, Abraham was almost dead when he received the promise. We read that earlier in the message. It says it in Romans that when he received the promise, at almost 100 years old, his life was thought to be over with, done. What more do you have to do? You have Ishmael, your life and your destiny is going before you. Sarah is barren. It's that is your promise in your house. But it changes. So Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. He was 99 whenever he's told that he was going to have Isaac with a son with Sarah. He was 100 when Isaac was born. We find that Sarah passes away. We find that he gets another wife. What are you doing, Abraham? You were complaining at 99, saying, I don't even know what life's all about. Can an old man do anything great today? But he goes and buries his wife, buys the field, buys the cave, uses wisdom, does a business deal, buries his wife, and then goes and gets another wife. And then goes to have six more sons. When one seemed insurmountable. At the age of a hundred, why God? You're making me doubt the impossible. But something changed within Abraham. He ended up living to the age of 175 years old. Having six children, even after... Sarah had passed. When you can grab and realize just how powerful the impossible is, life springs back up again. When you realize I'm not just a burnt over field, Truth Church. When you realize the best days are not behind me. I only had Ishmael and Isaac. And it's a beautiful story. But what's powerful is, he says, there's still more to come. I am not done yet. I don't know where you're at in your life today. You may feel like you're worthless. You can't do anything. 
You can probably go back to services and you can speak men of God's names that's walked up to you and said, thus said the word of God. And you sit there and says, will I ever see it? I don't, I haven't seen it for this many years. Here's the thing. God keeps his word. He will never, ever lie to you. And when he told Abraham, I will spread your seed as far as you can see the stars in the sky. You can walk to the beach. You can pick up those grains of sand and they'll all fall from your hands and you can't even begin to count them. And that's just the beginning of your family. I can only imagine the life that sprung up within Abraham when he says, it's not over yet. I've still got some more in me. I can do more. I can see the promises that God has given to me. Saints of God, I'm here today to tell you, don't give up on your promise. Don't let it waver. Don't even put it on a shelf and put a little glass case over it and let it be there for observation just for you to walk by and see it on occasion and try to remind yourself about the promise of God. Don't do it. Hold it close to you. Put it within your bosom and hold it close and let it feel your heartbeat. Let God begin to change you and begin to change your heartbeat and begin to modify you and say, God, everything you promised to me, I want. I'm going to hold that promise. Whatever that calling is, whatever that promise you've given to me, whether it be my children, whether it be revival, whether it be you to use me in whatever way it may be, God, I don't want to lose sight of the promise of God. <coughs> it's far too easy as Christians for us to be able to say, well, maybe I won't get to see it. Somebody else will. I'm sorry. But if God gave you the promise, then you're the one who should see it fulfilled. According to your faith, God has given us things that we can latch on to, things that we can reach down and touch, and we can allow to influence us. And, and there's things that sometimes we get our hands on that we probably shouldn't, that pull us away from our calling. <coughs> excuse me, that pull us away from what God's truly wanting to do in our life. I heard it said the other day, they said, if you have a church of 100, then you should have 100 visitors walk through your door every year. Why not? Can I say, oh me? If it's not, then I haven't done my job. If I haven't reached out to somebody, if I've lost sight of the promise, and you can say, oh, that's a hundred is so, that's, 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 that's nothing but six. No, God's saying, no, I told you through prophecy that I was going to be hundreds upon hundreds. That's when we get to the level of seven that only God can do. So stop getting it stuck in your mind of saying, well, it's just me here. It's only us. God has a promise he's given to us. It's for us to pick it up and not to laugh within our hearts, not even to be like Sarah did and, and within herself laugh. And the Lord says, you laughed, didn't you? Oh, no, 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 I didn't laugh. You laughed in your heart. Yes, you did. 
But you can also do things that are inside your heart. No one else can see or hear, and God hears. I'm reminded of a story that Abraham sent out a servant and told this servant, go out and find a bride for my son. And the servant takes eight or nine camels, I believe, takes some men servants, goes out in pursuit, and goes to the land of family. And he goes to the well, so that he said, I can see the daughters of the fathers of that city, see them come, so that I may choose a right bride for the man. Which is pretty smart. Go to the place they're going to be. But he said in his heart, within himself, he said, when she comes, I'll ask of her to give me a little to drink, and she will offer to water all my camels. No sooner had he said it within himself, and then guess who comes walking up? There is power in just talking within yourself. You don't have to get up and scream your prayers. I've sat at work and sat there in my mind and says, God, I need a miracle right now. And he's come through. I've sat there, been driving down the road or been in a company where I didn't feel like I could begin to pray out loud and begin to say within myself, God, I need your peace. I need your help. I need your strength. And within myself, God answers prayers. But we can also on the other side say, no one heard me when the preacher said God's going to give souls. Year 2020 is going to be the best year of our church ever. No one heard me. No one heard me say, yeah, right. Or it hasn't happened yet. Or I'll believe it when I see it. You don't have to verbalize those things because you see, we have a God that knows the heart. But he also blesses those who have faith. And you can sit there and say, but I'm just an old man. I'm just an old woman. I've been around this church for years and years and I'll never see it. You can take that approach. Or you could be Abraham and say, a hundred. That's young. 125. That's young. When he lives to be 175 and his life goes on, we too as Christians can go on beyond what you think you're willing to settle for. Your walk with God can be deeper than what you are willing to settle for right now. You know why? Because you're stuck at number six. Have faith in God and let him take it beyond. Because we know we cannot forgive 70 times seven. It's not within our flesh. But when we add the component to God, all things are possible. Not to those that make believe, but to those who do believe. All things are possible. There is nothing too great for God. Right, Brother Nelson? You said it tonight. God told that to Sarah. Is there anything too great for God? And in closing, I would ask you this. Is your faith able to believe in the impossible. 
Because washing away sins, that's impossible. If you're stuck at six. If you're stuck at the first part of the equation. If half of your formula is only present. People walking in and having their lives changed. That's impossible if you only have half of the answer. Bible studies being taught on a regular basis. In some people's lives, that's impossible if you only have half of the answer. But when you add God and let him lead you and guide you and let him bless you and give you the word and and when you say, God, it's not your message, it's, it's not my message, it's yours, it, it's your people and not my people, and, and God, whatever you would have to do with me, and whatever place you got to take me to, and however uncomfortable you have to make me, God, I'm willing to go to the next level, to where it's 70 times 7, to where it's not just I want a soul, but it's revival. It's not that I just taught a Bible study, but it's a church that's starting up. It's not that I just talk to somebody, invite them to church, but they walk in and sit on a pew and they get filled with the Holy Ghost. When you add the second part of the answer, it's all found in him and it's through faith in the impossible. Can we stand tonight and lift our hands and ask him to touch us tonight? God, we need you. I need you, Master. It's only by your hand. It's only by your ability, God, that you can bring everything you promised to pass in our life. It's only by you, God, the almighty God. Hallelujah. Let's talk to him tonight. Hallelujah. I dare say there's some promises down deep in your heart that God's trying to prick in your memory and trying to draw back and say, how long has it been since you thought about this? The promises that he's given you, walk in them. The almighty God is trying to recall them within your heart tonight. The God that is irresistible, able to destroy, and to be strong, and to destroy. The almighty God. That's who we serve tonight. El Shaddai. It's Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi. Everything we need, he is our provider. But it all bottled, comes up and it bubbles up to the surface of Jesus is the answer. He's the answer for this world today. Above him there is no other. Jesus is what we need in our life. It's faith in him. Not just faith in salvation. But faith in believing that God can take care of all your problems. If we just have faith let's talk to him just a moment more tonight let's talk to him open our hearts before we're dismissed let's talk to him tonight church Hallelujah.